You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We are completing our God is series. We've been looking at uh, the first letter of John, first John. We said we would get into second John and third John, and we will if you listen to our footnotes podcast. So uh, our footnotes podcast accompanies uh, this sermon. Uh, there's information in there. There's, there's things that we talked about that don't quite fit the sermon, but as we were doing our research, as we we're studying, as we we're engaging with the word, we're like, man, this is really important. This is really cool, but doesn't really fit within the sermon itself. Uh, and so we will talk about second John and third John, but we'll do that through footnotes. But John has these concepts, these ideas that he wants you to embrace. He says that Christ is in the flesh, that God is light, that God is father, that God is love. And this week we're talking about the Holy Spirit, how God is in us through his Holy Spirit. And this is a very important conversation from John's perspective. In fact, John says more, he records more of Jesus's teachings on the Holy Spirit than any of the other apostles. But I want to ask you a question to get started. How connected do you feel to the Holy Spirit? How connected to him do you feel? When was the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you sensed you were being led by the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you saw him at work around you? Because that was the experience of the first church. That was the experience of the apostles and their disciples. And, and that shouldn't change 2,000 years later. I, I just uh, was listening to the introduction of uh, Church as a Team Sport. This uh, book was written about a dozen years ago by Jim Putman. He's the senior pastor of real life in, in Pulse Falls, Idaho. And at the writing of the book, there were 8,000 people in that church in a town at that time of 17,000. And what, <laughs> this was not based off of uh, uh, Jim's brilliance, his perfect planning. Uh, in fact, he'll tell you uh, in the introduction of that book over and over and over again uh, that all their plans that they made were for naught. Like by the time they, they implemented a plan, the church had grown, outgrown the, that plan. <laughs> like it wasn't their planning. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God at work. God was the one that caused that church to grow. What we see in the early church is that God's spirit is an integral part of our relationship with the triune God and our calling to share the gospel with our community. 40 times the Holy Spirit shows up. 40 times 
the, the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts. I was talking to someone about uh, this sermon and they said that uh, their father uh, who taught at one of the colleges uh, called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Where most people would call the book of Acts, the Acts of, of the Apostles, uh, this, this teacher was teaching that, no, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And he's not the only one that, that has said that because I've heard it other places. Or his dad is that famous. One of the two. But are we experiencing the Holy Spirit? Are we experiencing him? Is he a part of our lives? Is he someone that we talk to? Is he someone that we sense leading us? Do we see him at work around us? And if not, why? Because it's an important conversation to John. He's going bring to it, bring it up over and over and over again. And, and he's already talked about the Holy Spirit a number of times. We won't talk about the first four chapters, but chapter five, we will look at how he references this idea of the Holy Spirit's work in our life and this idea of being born of God. So he says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, we already talked about the fact that God is father, right? And that we're children of God, but this idea of being born of God, this is a distinct concept in the mind of Paul or John. Being born of God is distinct from, from being a child of God. Both important. We have a tendency to just kind of meld them together. Let's separate them out a little bit and pay attention to what he's doing here. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Pretty consistent with John's message that if I'm going to love God, if I'm going to be born of God, I got to love you too. And you, by the way, you have to love me. I know it's hard, but work on that. Uh, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This phrase here sounds similar to that of James who calls it the law of liberty. We think about the law and, and, and both of these authors are talking about the same scriptures. They're talking about the Old Testament and we're like, well, thank goodness I am not an Old Testament guy. I'm a New Testament guy because of Jesus. Well, know this, that John and Paul were both, or James and John were both Old Testament guys <laughs> and they're talking about the Old Testament here. So, uh, and John says, it's not burdensome. Maybe we shouldn't see the Old Testament as burdensome either. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. I want you to think back to that first moment where you said yes to Jesus. And how simple, like it was, it challenged you, but it was simple. You're just saying, I will go wherever you lead me. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I want to be, I want you to change my life. And, and back then it was simple for us, but somehow as we walk with God a long time, sometimes we make it really complicated. Can I get an amen from the crowd? Sometimes Rob makes it really complicated. This is the one who over who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only with the water, 
but with the water and with the blood. It is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testament of men, the testament of God is greater. For the testament of God is just that he has testified concerning his son. Now, John's using some imagery here. Um, He's saying that not only did Jesus get baptized, not only did he identify with us by being baptized and we, and we, when we are baptized, we identify with him, but he went to the cross. He shed his, his blood. The spirit was just there to testify that this is the son of God. The spirit didn't enter Jesus Jesus didn't need that. You and I need the the testimony of the spirit. That's why he actually comes into us when we are baptized, when we make that profession of faith and we are baptized. The Gnostics said that the spirit was the Christ and Jesus was just a man like you and I. John's saying, no, 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 no. The spirit came to testify. Jesus was fully the son of God and man. He was both. So he's making the distinction here for the Gnostics. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. So the Holy Spirit was there to testify at Jesus' baptism that this is the son of God. And remember, the voice came out of heaven. So all three were there. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all there at one time. But the testimony actually lives inside of you and me when we receive Christ. Okay? He was external to Christ at Christ's baptism, but he enters us at our baptism. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has a son has a life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, if we ask God in our praying and are seeking him, if we understand his will and we're praying for those things, and when we see those things happen, it reassures our relationship. It, It reminds us of how much God loves us when he answers those prayers. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give for him life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make a request for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. We talked about this idea of the sin leading to death in our life transforming group. Uh, when we went through this weeks ago, we'll talk about this in footnotes because it's, a, it's an important conversation, but 
uh, we won't talk about this morning. We know that no one who is born of God sins or, or continues to sin, lives a life of sin, but he who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. I do want to stop here and talk about this for just a second. This idea of touching, it's not just really a physical thing where, I know on screen you can't see that, where I touched him. It's not just a physical thing where I touched him, but it's, a, it's this idea that this, this outside agency can touch you, can change you by touching you. That you are different because you got touched. The Holy Spirit comes in us when we confess Christ, when we are baptized and protects us from the enemy. So I can't be walking down the path of God. The enemy goes, oh, I'm more powerful than Rob. He is. I'm more powerful than Rob and I'm going to change his course. The, The evil one can't change my course. We are protected and, and, and like, just real basic spiritual warfare from Rob's perspective. Yes, the enemy, Satan is, is powerful and he's more powerful than me. Hands down. I can't stand up to him. But the one inside of me protects me. He can defeat the enemy. I don't have to. I don't know what he's doing. I can't. Like the spiritual world, I don't even understand. I have a hard time understanding this world, let alone that one. So we can be confident that we are protected from the evil one. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so while the world is under the evil one's influence, we don't have to worry about ourselves being deluded. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children guard yourselves from idols. Maybe James favorite verse in the whole, the whole book. But John brings out this idea of being born of God. He mentions it five times in this last chapter. I think he wants us to go back to that that original moment when we said yes to Christ, that 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 it's that simple. Don't come, don't make this complicated when you don't have to. And somehow when I first came to Christ, the, the, like it challenged me, everything like he's God, I'm not, I'm going where he's leading. He's going to tell me I need to change things. And I keep opening up the scriptures and yep, there's more for me to change. I got to figure this out. But James says that that faith, that faith that led you to that point is what's going to see you through this world that's full of darkness, that's full of challenges, that's full of contradictory uh, messages you know, and, and, and everything that John has said up to this point, he just wants to ground us again that we are born of God. And this idea of the Holy Spirit is significant to John. It, it's to the other gospel writers too, but John puts more <coughs> pen to paper on the Holy Spirit. And, and honestly, 
if you think about the old, the old Testament view of the Holy Spirit, think about all the stories where you see the Holy Spirit show up. The Holy Spirit is kind of a mystery when it comes to the Old Testament. Like no one introduces us to him. No one really, you know, gives us very much information. He's just doing things. Whenever he, did, whenever he shows up, things happen. Things get better. Things, people can prophesy. People are healed. Uh, all kinds of cool things happen when the Holy Spirit shows up. But I also want you to think about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament this way. How many people at one time actually had the Old Testament or had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? How many people at one time were known to have the Holy Spirit? There's a few times where there's like a handful. Most of the time, it's one human being on the planet. Have you ever thought about that? Like for those of us who received Christ in this room, there's more of us today in this room that have a Holy Spirit in us than they did in the time of David. That that's least recorded. Like there's so few recordings of people actually having the Holy Spirit inside of them. And we take him for granted. They, John had to talk about, had to teach about the Holy Spirit because what did we know about the Holy Spirit? He showed up, he did cool things, he went away, cool things stopped. I mean, that's, that's what we knew. For the first 4,000 years of recorded history, biblical history. I mean, we see the prophets, there's prophets that show up with the Holy Spirit. We see, we see uh, King uh, Saul with the Holy Spirit. And when he gets the Holy Spirit, that's kind of a wild story. We see David with the Holy Spirit. And then we see a whole lineage of, of kings that seem to not have the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if we're ever told about Solomon actually having the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, he, wrote scripture and in scripture God breathed. So you have to assume that he had the Holy Spirit, but I don't know if we're ever actually told that the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so John, John has to tell us, he has to teach us about the Holy Spirit. And he starts in John chapter three. He starts this conversation in John chapter three, and, he's, and we're told this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come to have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him. Wait a minute. I didn't know there was a question. Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you're not a part of what God's doing. Unless you're born again, you are not going to be part of that, that kingdom that God's establishing, not only here on earth, but there in heaven. 
Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. Dave, do you want to be born again of your mother? <laughs> no. Me neither. I think I'd be cramped. Um, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, Jesus is doing two things here. He's doing two things. One, he's connecting his story. He's connecting the establishment of the kingdom of God to Exodus. When were the Israelites finally ultimately saved from the Egyptians? When they crossed the Red Sea. The Ruach, the wind, the spirit moved the waters. That's, that's one of the first times we see God's spirit show up. The Ruach the wind pushes the waters back and the people cross on dry ground. Jesus is saying that we need to experience our own exodus. When we invite someone to know Christ, it's not to say a prayer and attend a service. It's to be on mission, to be in step with Jesus Christ on this exodus that God will lead you through. And if we don't teach people that they have to have their own exodus. See, the Jews said that, that they still say this today, that they, they were part of that exodus. They still feel, they, they still talk about a connection that they have, that they, they're still part of that exodus. But Jesus says, no, individually, you need your own exodus. I had some godly grandmothers Uh, didn't know my one grandfather, he passed away. Uh, and my other one, um, I, I, I got some questions about, but I had some godly grandmothers. They had their exodus. I needed my own exodus. I couldn't live off of the coattails of my grandparents' exodus. None of us could live off the coattails of someone else's exodus. We need our own exodus where, where God becomes our God and he teaches us what this relationship looks like and he leads us and not the other way around. Like I don't get to invite Jesus into my life. I'm invited into his life. I don't invite Jesus into my purposes. Jesus invites me into his purposes. Look at the gospel accounts. You'll never see someone else lead Jesus someplace. You always see Jesus invite himself to your house for, for dinner <laughs> or to the disciples to follow him. But the other thing that Jesus is saying here is that something's going to change in human history. The Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to fill individuals so that the kingdom can move forward. This is why God's kingdom is not limited to Jerusalem, but has gone throughout the whole earth. 
This is God's plan. The Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit in me, the Holy Spirit leading us to advance his kingdom, to make changes, to invite people in to their own kingdom experience of following Jesus wherever Jesus leads them. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And John has some other things to talk about when, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, because again, the Holy Spirit is kind of a mystery when you look at the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament perspective. But uh, I've, I've placed in your bulletins all the references for these statements that I will go through just so you can read them for yourself. So they're in the bulletin, but uh, I'm just going to give you just kind of an overview of the Holy Spirit from the perspective of John. First of all, uh, God gives a spirit without measure. He, he doesn't give some spirit to Josh and a lot of spirit to Rob. He gives the Holy Spirit to each of us without measure. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. We don't need the temple system. Because we could worship here and now. That was the big question at, in John chapter 4. It is the spirit who gives life. Jesus says that he is your helper and he is with you forever. The Holy Spirit helps us when we need it. He is the spirit of truth. He teaches you all things. He is your source of peace. He says it's your advantage to Christ in a way, otherwise the helper would not come. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a disciple following Jesus and Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, guys. Oh, by the way, um, most of these teachings were given to the disciples within the last week. Within the week of Christ leaving earth. Or at least, or at least dying. His death, burial, and resurrection. Um, we're told in John 15 that the spirit testifies about Christ. It's the spirit that helps us connect to Christ in the first place. And then he enables us to testify about Christ. He gives us the ability to testify to others about our experience with God. We're told that he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, that he guides you into all truth and that whatever he hears from God, he will speak to you. It's just the Holy Spirit that provides agency so that we can hear from God, each of us. When we take time for directed prayer each Sunday, where each of us individually are, are praying to God, it's because of the Holy Spirit inside of us that we can have those individual conversations with God. And he knows. And when God communicates back to you, it's through that same Holy Spirit. So I'll take you back to that original question. How connected do you feel to the Holy Spirit? Is he leading you? Is he guiding you? Is he enabling your witness to take effect with those that you desperately want to see come to know Christ? Do you have peace? Do you hear from God? Do you see him at work in your family? Do you see him at work... In, in the people that need him. 
do you see him at work around you, in your world, in your neighborhood? Because we should. Again, the implication is this. God's spirit is an integral part of our relationship with this triune God. He's integral to that relationship and our calling to share the gospel with our community. If you're not sensing the Holy Spirit in your life, how are your friends ever supposed to sense the whole God's work in you? And how are they ever supposed to connect to this amazing God that you said yes to at one point? If you don't sense God's leading through the Holy Spirit, if you don't sense him teaching you, if you don't sense him answering questions, if you don't sense peace in those hard places, how's the world supposed to experience your God when you're not experiencing your God? He's an integral part of a relationship with a triune God. And I find that, you know, we're, we're not Pentecostal. I don't know if you guys know that or not. So um, we won't be rolling around on the floor or we're making uh, unique noises. I'll, I'll say it that way. Um, and so sometimes in the evangelical world that we grew, grew up in, we just don't talk about the spirit very often. I don't remember that many sermons that I could reflect back on even and go, oh yeah, that's what we talked about. That's what... That's what Jim said. That's what Bob said about the Holy Spirit. I don't remember those conversations because I don't think we had them. And we need to disciple each other in this. If you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit, I just want you to call back to the idea that you can and you should. And we must. I've been praying for our own Pentecost as a church. Because I, I believe God wants to do something here. I think I mentioned this first service. I don't think I mentioned it's second service. I was listening to uh, Jim Putman. Did I mention that second service? I lose track of when I bring certain things up. Um, Jim Putman, a dozen years ago, uh, wrote a book called Church is a Team Sport. And we're going through that a few guys uh, a couple guys are going through that with me. And I was listening to the introduction. Did I already mention that? Oh, Christy says I did. All right, I won't say that again. <laughs> Thank you, hon. It wasn't Jim's brilliance. Jim's a heck of a guy. It was God's brilliance. It was the Holy Spirit at work people, countless people over and over and over again, coming to Christ, baptism after baptism, after baptism, after baptism. And God is making me really hungry for baptism right now. So uh, if you go to the river with me, uh, I baptized myself last week um, at the river. If you saw me trip over the rock, um, <laughs> that was Jesus. He's going, I baptize you, Rob. Um, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need him. So some next steps. Uh, if you've never said yes to Christ, be born again. We're talking about the son of the living God. We're talking about the resurrected one. We're talking about the one who never failed. He never sinned. He's a complete, perfect offering. 
to the father. Everything that I do will fall short of Jesus. Be born again. And I know, I know this phrase, like, uh, uh, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Born again Christian. Is that a, is that a positive thing or a negative thing in American culture? Yeah, that's a negative thing, isn't it? And yet, that's exactly what Jesus calls us to, is to be born again. That's the invitation. I don't care what culture says about that. And I'm sure we've given culture plenty of reasons to not, you know, to, 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 <laughs> to make that a slur word or, you know, a negative, negative thing. I'm, I'm sure in human history, Christians have done plenty to deserve that. But this is the invitation to be born again, to accept Christ as your Savior and start developing your relationship with the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, Peter said, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is where that relationship with that triune God really takes hold, and it's is propelled forward through the work, through the agency of that helper, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He'll teach you. He'll direct your life. He'll lead you to things that you're like, are you sure? And he'll be like, yeah, I'm sure. And it'll be good. It'll be good. So if you haven't made that step, if you haven't taken that step, let's talk. Second next step, continue continue to invest in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, as part of our doctrinal statement, we, we talk about the triune God. You want that. Those of you who have gone through our membership class, you want that. You, you won't become a member of a church that doesn't talk about the triune God. Can I get an amen? But how much time and energy do we give the Holy Spirit compared to the Son and the Father? How much time and energy do we give that relationship? Do we think about him? Do we pray to him? Do we, do we, when we sense him leading, do we say yes to him? Or is he just an inconvenience when he leads, when he directs? Is it easy to say no to the Holy Spirit when it's, not God. Oh, but our theology says he is God. Continue to invest in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us the most of all the New Testament writers, what it means to invest in that relationship. Again, all these, uh, in your bulletin, we have documented all the verse uh, all the chapters and verses you could, you could take a look so you could read these for yourself. I don't want you to just take my word for it. But we are told by Paul to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to not grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieve means it, it's, a, it's the kind of pain a woman feels when she's giving birth or man has a cold. <laughs> We don't, we're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit because of our actions, because the Holy Spirit is inside of us and, and we make him partners with a prostitute if we choose to engage with a prostitute. 
don't cause the Holy Spirit grief. The kinds of things Paul would tell you that would cause him grief found in uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. Like these, man, this list. Is Paul describing my last week? I'm half of these things up here. I'm going, oh, I did that not too long ago. These are the kinds of things when, you, when, when John says that if you walk in the darkness and yet you say you're in light, you lie to yourself. Like these kinds of things. If, if we're going to use these tools, outbursts of anger, like if we're going to use outbursts of anger to accomplish what we're trying to get done, we have to know that that is not a tool of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you're grieving the Holy Spirit when you, when you do that. The good news is if we repent of those things, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. We just can't claim these as our tools because this is not how God's kingdom moves forward. This is not how we experience our triune God. And, and if you happen to do these things, then ask for the Holy Spirit. Like you find, man, I've, I ignored God's voice in my life. There's been a number of times where God has said, Rob, don't do that. And I paid attention. But there were a number of other times where God said, Rob, don't do that. I'm like, I got this. Don't worry about it. Oh, that was a mistake. If you say no enough to the Holy Spirit, he's going to stop talking because he's a gentleman. And then you have to say, I need you back in my life. If you've been embracing those tools that would cause him to be grieved, if you've been embracing them long enough, you're going to have to invite him back in because he's going to, he's going to step back and let you do what you're going to do. He's a gentleman. So ask for the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. We're also told that all scripture is God breathed. And I just lost my screen. There we go. Um, and so you could engage the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. Every time you engage with the scriptures, that is his voice. He's teaching you his voice. And then Apostle Paul tells us to kindle afresh the, the gift of God through the way that we choose to serve. Like God's spirit enables us to do things that we don't think we're capable of doing. But when we say yes to something anyway, because we sense God calling us to that, then we're kindling, we're, make, we're, we're fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we can pray to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit helps us to communicate with the Father. And so we should pray. I should, I should ask him, Lord, I don't even know what to tell the Father on this one. I need your help to communicate here. I've done that so many times. Like, Lord, I, I don't know what to tell the Father. You're going to have to take over here because uh, I'm at a loss. God has changed my circumstances every time I said that prayer. Every time. 
God's spirit is an integral part of our relationship with the triune God. And, and John wants us to know that. He wants us to hang on to that. He wants us to return to that. And we need to disciple each other in that. God's spirit is also an integral part of our calling to share the gospel with our community. We're not here to be salesmen, salespeople of, of, of God's kingdom. We're to go in the, in the strength and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We're to faithfully go, not because we know all the answers, but because we're just willing to be a servant of the most high God through the agency of the Holy Spirit. He's integral. Let's cry out to him. Let's enjoy him. Let's expect that he's going to work in our lives because that's what he does. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.